Hi, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy and Charlie here from CS2. On today's podcast, we have Sarah McConnell, who's the head of demand generation at Qualified, a conversational marketing technology company. And we thought it'd be great to have Sarah on to talk about what conversational marketing is, how it fits into your ABM strategy, and then how do you operationalize that for all the ops people who are listening. Um, Conversational marketing, I think, is not really a buzzword anymore. I think a lot more people (laughs) know what it is, but for some who don't, I think this will also give you a primer into what it is and how you can include it for ABM strategy. So um, thanks, Sarah, for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I think um, first would love to uh, get an introduction on um, you and your origin story. We got connected through um, the Women in Revenue Slack channel, which has been a great resource to meeting so many um, awesome women in um, B2B SaaS. And, um, but you know, not everyone's story is linear in how they got to doing what they do now. You're ahead of demand gen um, at Qualified, but tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. And my journey is most definitely not linear. And I always, I've actually made it a point when I get connected to someone new on LinkedIn to go back and see where they started, because I've always found it interesting that it's never, it's never the same. Like sometimes it's science and it's always very interesting. So my own journey, I actually started my first career out of college at a PR agency in Tucson, Arizona. So when I graduated school, my husband was in grad school at University of Arizona. So I went with him there started at a PR agency in about eight months, realized I am not good at PR and it was not where my passion lied. Um, So shifted into B2C digital marketing and worked for a um, brewing company for about three years in Tucson, which was very interesting. Got to work in like B2C consumer goods space for a couple of years. Uh, Moved to Little Rock, Arkansas for about a year and a half and moved back into agency world and did like brand marketing but with a really heavy focus on operation and demand there, which was interesting um, being at an agency and realizing it translated very quickly back over into B2B tech, which I wouldn't think it, it would. Came back to the Bay Area, um, ran digital marketing at a tech SaaS startup for a couple of years, shifted over to another startup company um, based in the Bay Area a couple of years ago that's in the cybersecurity space. So ran digital marketing there as well. And then joined Qualified about a year ago as their head of demand gen. So started in PR, moved into B2C and agency, and then sort of found my way back into B2B SaaS and have been loving it ever since and don't necessarily see myself going back. (laughs) Do you find that um, some of the stuff that you learned when you were in the B2C environment has been able to translate into B2B? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I think it translates over the only, the biggest hurdle I think for me to overcome was the sales cycles are so much different, obviously in B2B, mm-hmm. um, especially when I worked in the cybersecurity space, those sales cycles could be months, if not a year where B2C was just such fast reward and turnaround and conversions. The more interesting one that I joke about is when I worked at an agency in Little Rock, our main client was a hospital And you would think working in like healthcare agency would be vastly different than tech B2B. And I'm not saying it isn't different, but it made me realize at the end of the day, all most companies care about is how they can drive net new business. And for hospitals that was finding new patients and and making sure their patients that were there and fixing their website to make sure the journey was a lot easier. And I sort of laughed when I came back into B2B tech that it's all the same. It's (laughs) a little bit different, but everyone wants the same outcomes and you're looking for the same sort of processes to put in place. 
Yeah. What about like the PR side, like instantly made you realize you, you maybe wanted to do digital marketing instead. Is it something about what, you know, the way you work or what, what about it? Yeah. I think PR, I think a lot of cold calling all day was not necessarily my uh, cup mm -hmm. of tea and shout out to all of our SDRs and BDRs out there. Cause job is really hard and cold calling is not easy. <laughs> um, I think what really drove me back into digital and like demand gen is I'm a bit competitive. So I like having numbers and things to drive me. And I think with PR is a little bit more loose. Like obviously you could get placements and publications and you got like a big win there, but it took a lot longer. And I think with demand gen and digital marketing, I have very like set foundational goals, usually that I'm setting for myself. And it really drives me to keep going after numbers. So I think finding my way back into something that had more of the data more numbers and things to drive me and be competitive was a big, a big thing that I was looking for when I shifted out of PR rather quickly. Totally. Yeah. We just got the rundown from Sarah about her background in volleyball. So we know how competitive she probably is. Yeah, I was going to ask, is that, where, is that where the competitive <laughs> yeah. comes from? Yep. I think that's definitely where the competitive nature comes from. As I've gotten a little bit older, I like to think that I've grown out of it. And then I was telling you guys earlier that I still play in the area where I live. And it hasn't, I haven't grown out of it. I just got forced <laughs> at volleyball, but the competitiveness is still there, which makes for really interesting games because I'm still really competitive, but not very good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that though. You got to keep doing it, you know, your passion. Yeah. Got to yep. keep doing it. Um, cool. Well, I, one of the things that I also think is very interesting now, and maybe that appealed to you about this job, but really you're doing ABM for an ABM tech company. And I thought, you know, that reminds me of when I was doing marketing ops at Marketo. And it's such a unique experience because you're kind of drinking your own champagne. You work for a company that, you know, is, you know, marketing something that like you're using every day and you can be that internal champion. So how has that experience been while I qualified and um, how has it maybe been creating your strategy or running your programs easier? Yeah, it's been really great. Um, I think it's sometimes a blessing and a curse only in that I think there's always ways to improve it. So since I'm so deep in the tool, I know I keep wanting to push it farther and farther. And we really talk about it being best in class because we are setting sort of the example um, I alluded, my role before this was in cybersecurity and marketing to IT and technology is very difficult. Yeah. So making the shift back into marketing to marketers has been mm -hmm. very interesting and really fun. Um, and I do, I sell into my own ICP. So I'm selling to myself and other companies, which has been challenging only in that as I get deeper into the product. And I understand, obviously I think everyone does this with their own company and their own product. I see how great it is and the benefits and it's, it takes me actively stepping back and saying, if I knew nothing about this product or I knew nothing about what I'm selling, how would I articulate this? How would it answer my pain points? And what would I need to hear to be interested if I was nine months out from this job and hadn't joined this company? So I think it is really, it, it, it presents a unique challenge, but I also have really enjoyed sort of being, we call it qualified on qualified, but being sort of like the driver of our own product and how we market mm -hmm. that to myself at other companies. That's a really interesting point, actually, because you're saying that because you're, you're such a heavy user of your own product, you have to like kind of get dumb again and just like remove all the stuff, you know, to like get back into the mindset <laughs> of the buyer. Yep. Whereas when you're selling to IT, you, you're, you're not the buyer. So you, you can kind of maybe even 
resonate with them maybe not resonate with them more because you're not in it but you can understand what it would be like to someone seeing your product without knowing all the benefits like mm-hmm. immediately yeah um that's an interesting point i haven't had it articulated yeah. like that absolutely been, i think have you been like giving that feedback to like your product team and, and stuff like that like are you, are you work with them and give them feedback and driving the product forward and and obviously working yeah. with the product marketing team Absolutely. So I work really closely with our team. We're still fairly small, so we're lucky that mm-hmm. we still can work very closely. I also think it it's helped a lot working with our AEs and our SDRs and that if they write new messaging for outbounding or they have questions on what they think would work, they have started to lean on me a lot and come to me and say like, would you open this email? Would you read this email? Mm-hmm. Would you respond to this email? What about this is right? What about mm-hmm. this is wrong? So I really like that it's it's made my relationship with them even closer. I think SDRs and demand gen already work so closely together as, as pipeline and revenue drivers for a company, but I've been able to be a resource for them and try to help them as much as I can with their messaging. And, and to your point, selling back into IT, I was never a technology. I was never going to be a CISO or a head of IT. So I was never going to put myself in those shoes. And while it's been easier to write messaging and understand pain points of who we're selling to in marketing... I do think everyone's a little guilty of getting so deep into their product. They're like, I can't understand why no one wants, like everyone right. should want this yeah. product. And so I have yeah, to kind of step so back and be like, if I didn't know all the things that I know, because I've been here for a year, what are really high level things that I can point out and bring into our messaging that would help people move through their buyer's journey? So that has been more challenging, I think, than I expected when I first started. Yeah. That totally makes sense. I, I had similar experiences. I would be at trade shows like um, for Marketo and trying to talk to people about whatever seems, I think when you're creating a category too, with conversational marketing, uh, which is pretty new, people are going to have questions that you think are pretty obvious um, because you're so <laughs> well-versed on it, but, um, and that used to happen to me a lot. So on that point, I wanted to first set the stage for our, our listeners and have you talked through what conversational marketing is? Because I think a lot of uh, people instantly think um, chatbots or, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's it. I think they, and so can you talk a little bit about how you define conversational marketing and how that fits into an ABM strategy? Because that's going to be where we're mainly focusing today. Yep, absolutely. So I, I think you were right that a lot of people define conversational marketing as just chatbots. And I think that is a, a portion of what conversational marketing is, but it can be a lot more depending on what your company needs. Um, ultimately, it is a chat platform that sits on B2B websites and helps you connect with your buyers in real time. So whether that be through chatbots or connecting with humans on your sales team, the idea is that it helps drive more pipeline and revenue, um, driving more pipeline by helping leads convert faster. So not necessarily replacing forms, but helping to augment your forms, give people fast lanes if they meet, if they're in a target account in your ABM strategy and you want to like fast track them past a form, helps you drive leads a lot quicker, which hopefully leads to more pipeline. And then from a revenue standpoint, I think one of the things that gets overlooked from conversational marketing is it can really help you close deals a lot faster. So if you have open opportunities, I think a lot of times in B2B companies, technology sales cycles, again, can be fairly long. Buying committees are rather large. You're going to have frequent visitors from that company coming to your site throughout the entire buying process. And it lets you connect with them in real time, answer their questions, and give them a really great journey to help close deals a lot quicker. So one of the KPIs we tell customers to look for is, are your deal cycles accelerating? Like, are you able to close deals quicker than you did before? And hopefully for a higher price point than you did before. So I think it's a a combination of both pipeline driving, but helping you close those deals a lot quicker as well. 
Um, and the last thing I'll say is th there is that, that section of chatbots where you can automate it, you can have questions, you can qualify visitors without human interaction. Um, but you also, if you want and you have SDR teams that have the ability to, you want to route them in and let them talk to your hot visitors like your target accounts that come to your site. If the target account that your AE or your SDR has been outbounding for months suddenly hits your website, we always say, do you really want a bot talking to them or do you want your AE jumping in and giving them a personalized greeting and making that experience the best that they can? So it also lets your sales reps connect with people a lot quicker. So it's a lot more than just the bots themselves. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think for, and even I'll say to myself a lot of times, I'm so focused on conversational marketing to be a replacement for forms or to be something that can help you with like, net new prospects that come to your website and, and qualifying them starting a conversation, but a hundred percent, like it, the people that are mostly coming to your website are really engaging are going to be ones that maybe are in a deal cycle or already thinking about buying your product. So alerting your sales team of that, who are so relying on these other like channels of communicating, like mm -hmm. email, which are very slow and passive, having a more proactive channel to engage their opportunity is great. Yeah. I would love that experience. And that uh, customer experience, I think is so key. It's a, a big part of what we've been focusing on the podcast recently and what a great experience to actually engage with them in a more proactive way on the place that they are trying to figure out more about you. Yeah. We've seen one of our, our fun plays that we've seen a lot of like surprise and delight on for a fun little buzzword there is if someone is in a demo, we know they're in a demo and we surface all of our Salesforce data like into our conversational marketing tool. So if they're in an, an open opportunity, we know they're in a demo and they come to our website, which happens more often than I realize when someone's in a demo, they're like listening on one side, but at work from home, they've got their two other monitors and they're coming mm -hmm. to our website is we'll have one of our SDRs jump into the conversation and say like, hey, so-and-so, how is your demo going? Do you have any mm -hmm. questions? And they love that experience. They're like, I can't believe you know that. This is so great. So I think it just helps you add to that like customer value and make that experience the best that it can be. Um, and who knew that people were, as you're giving them demos, like poking around your entire website and not listening and doing their own research. So it helps <laughs> us like keep them focused on their demo when they're in that process. Yeah. And I think one of the points that you made, I think is really important, especially for the marketing arts people listening is, you know, it's not just kind of like trying to automate everything and just have a bot do all the work, right? Mm -hmm. you, you want that human interaction. And being able to choose when to have humans versus when to have bots is a key skill because at marketing ops people, sometimes we're at risk of just thinking everything should just be automated, just be done automatically. <laughs> like humans do not need to be involved, but that that's, couldn't be further from the truth, right? Especially yeah. when you've got these high value um, people on the site who might be in opportunities in a deal cycle currently. We always laugh that whenever we start a deal cycle, I think we hear a lot of marketers and marketing ops people are usually pretty heavily involved in a sales cycle. And to your point, they do want that. They want to automate it. They want bots. They want to drive leads and they want to make it easier and minimize their form fields that they have to ask for, which we conversational marketing can definitely help with. But then we also tell them, you know, we can help with things like routing. We can do routing that's based directly out of your Salesforce system or your marketing automation, however you score, however you route, whatever you set up very You've invested so much time and effort into setting up that operational side of your marketing automation platforms, your CRM. We want that all to work with your conversational marketing tool to make their lives easier. So while there's still humans involved, we can help automate things a little bit easier and hopefully make 
marketing ops lives a little bit easier because their lives are already really, really hard. So we don't want to complicate the process <laughs> even more. Their lives are definitely hard. Um, their lives are, and they're, and they're very unsung heroes, I think, in the marketing org. So totally. And then, so when it comes to the human side, how have you helped enable and work with your SDRs and AEs? You know, you gave a really great tactical example there where, you know, someone's on the demo and you've, you've obviously trained your SDRs to like either get a signal to be able to do that and then jump in into the chat and um you know start talking to the people so if you had like a big bigger kind of strategy or have you just focused on the different individual examples like that like what does your enablement strategy look like yeah i think there's a few key points so from an operational standpoint we make sure um especially like routing rules and account ownership is all really tightly integrated with the conversational marketing platform i think reps I always try to remember that reps and SDRs at the end of the day really care about making money and they should, and that's their job. And that's what really like drives and motivates them. So they do feel not, I don't think competitive is the right word, but they want to make sure if an account that they own and they are working is on the site and they have an opportunity to convert it, we give them that opportunity. So from an operational standpoint, we set everything up so that owners, SDRs are alerted in real time. So we can do things like voice alerts, Slack alerts, email alerts when someone that they care about is on the site so that they can jump in right away. So I think that motivates them. I, I think we, from a getting them ready and operationalizing it, we can show them how much it's going to benefit them if they're doing a lot of work to penetrate into a target account. We can alert them when they're on the site, let them proactively talk to them. I think also we, we have a really great resource, at least at Qualified Internally. One of our old original SDRs, the old is not the right word, She's been with the company since the early days. And we used to joke, we call her our like pounce master. And we call pouncing <laughs> when they like jump into a conversation, start a proactive conversation. Um, her name is Blake. And we will actually have her jump on with customers when they sign on and give them sort of a rundown of what you should be doing, who should you be focusing on. And we really try to make sure one, our customers are set up to understand when do you want to jump in and proactively talk to someone? It's going to be different for every business use case. Um, what should you let the bot automate? And we try to have a lot of resources for them to get them prepped for that. Internally, I meet with our SDRs every week. So we have a very close relationship. So if we're launching new campaigns, anything new is happening, I can let them know and get them prepped for on the conversational marketing tool. Like, how do you talk to these visitors if they're coming from a specific campaign? We've tagged them with a UTM code. Here's something that you can drop into the chat bot that's going to help personalize it, get them ready. Um, so we do a lot of that to help get them continually excited about the tool. And at the end of the day, the last thing we'll do is show them how much it's influencing their pipeline mm -hmm. and their commission. So I think that's what really motivates them. So we'll try to show every month we do pipeline councils, like here's how much the console and the website conversational marketing, here's how much it's impacting your pipeline, your revenue, your commission. And I find that as much as I try all the other like weekly meetings and all <laughs> these other fun, like spiffs and whatnot, that's, that's what really motivates show them. Show them the money. <laughs> yep. Show them where the money is at. And I think if we can give them a tool, I know tech debt in, in companies is, is very heavy. And so taking on a new tool can be a, a, a quite a bit of a burden for SDRs. They have a lot of different signals and noise coming from different mm -hmm. tools. So we try really hard to consolidate it operationally and give it to them easily serviceable where they can and keep them motivated by helping them open deals and close them and make commission. So. Yeah, that's, a, that's another a really important point. I think a lot of people trip up on that. They, they think just like we need to flood the SDRs with all of these signals from all of these tools. Like you've got 
yeah, your, so your chat, yeah, like... you can, yeah, your ABM tools, your intent yeah, data, intent you've data. got like uh, content indication um, uh, partners that are sending things. You've got yeah, your chatbots coming through. You've got MQLs. You've got leads. You've got to look at, and it's just like they just don't even know when to start. They're just like, what? I what, come in in the morning. What do I do? But yep. it sounds like you've really tried to focus them, which is great. Yeah. So our poor SDRs one day, that's what they said to me, and they're like, Sarah, I. Every morning I have all these, we have, so we use six senses, our ABM vendor. And they're like, I've got six cents signals. We have G2 signals. We have our own mm -hmm. website signals. I've got all this data, like your campaign UGM codes. And they're like, when someone comes to the site, like, what do I focus on? So our goal is to surface as much as we can for them. We tried, I mean, we trust our SDRs are smart. They're conversational. They can do these. And what we've actually found anecdotally is that when someone comes to the site and they want to strike up a proactive conversation with them, if we surface all of this, these signals for them to look at, oftentimes where they get the most success and engagement is if they come up with something really personal. So like if you went to the same college, like you say, oh, I see you're, you're located in X city. Like I went to school there or I did something. And like, obviously that can't happen every single time, but if they can find, or in our own particular tool, we have a live view. So you can actually see what people are doing on the website in real time. So if they're paused on a piece of content, they're highlighting something or clicking they can use that as a way to strike up a conversation where instead of like looking over and being like, oh my gosh, they've MQL'd, their score is at an 80, they're in buying stage this, and there's all these signals. We try to tell them like, we're, we're also selling to humans. So like, keep it human and try to keep it as conversational mm -hmm. as you can. And that that does help keep keep them not overwhelmed, I think. Do you think some of your B2C background has kind of set that mentality to be more human in your marketing and not just be kind of this like B2B machine marketing <laughs> that, doesn't, yeah, that doesn't know that we're actually kind of trying to talk to humans? I would like to think so. I think it's also maybe it's a shift with COVID and like work from home is I think everything has gotten so digital and like emails are full, like LinkedIn is so busy, like everyone's doing these digital things. And I, 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 come to realize more and more that everyone just wants to be sold to like a human. And mm -hmm. we kind of talked about how journeys like career journeys aren't linear. I think people's buying journeys so much more are just not linear. And yeah. we see it all the time where people will strike up conversations in our chat or in a conversational marketing tool. And they might just want to talk. They're not ready to buy. And that's okay. Like we don't need to hard sell them. We can just answer their questions and be a resource for them. And setting that great customer experience for them or prospect experience for them is going to pay off in dividends down the road because you don't want to be seen as the company that's pushy and aggressive. And, you know, you really want to treat people like they're human beings. And hopefully my B2C background has helped influence that, or maybe it's just been on, on the other side of a lot of SDR outreach that I've mm -hmm. tried to realize, like they're humans too, and they're trying to do their job and that's that's what's really important and, and yeah you're letting them, them be in control like and yeah. you've got empathy for them right like you're putting yep. yourself in their shoes and you're and, you, and we always say um you should market like you would want to be marketed too and you yep. just said that no, you've been on the on the receiving end of some marketing and sales outreach that you haven't liked so you're trying you're trying not to do that to your prospects but a lot of people kind of will end up just doing the same thing even though that's not the stuff that they're that they're yep. um engaging with so I think it's old habits too like old yeah. habits old like playbooks that have just, I don't know, they've sort of just been inherited and we've kept using them. And so we really, I don't know, we're trying to really break out of those and make things a lot more, I mean, cheesy, but conversational as opposed mm -hmm. to like formulaic outreach. Well, it just makes sense, right? Yeah. Like if I'm on a site and um, 
someone messages me through through the bot and says you know something because they maybe saw like an intense signal like you must be interested in this like do you want to have a demo right now I might be like whoa or if, but if they said oh I saw you're from you know London I went there on vacation a few weeks ago it was great or something I'll be like oh okay maybe I would like have a kind of a quick chat and then that could then start a conversation yep. and then start a, a relationship yep. um yeah just treating people like like they're humans it's 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 yeah. it's forgotten a lot but it's so important i totally agree great so i think um to bring us back i i so it, and we talked about sdrs and operationalizing and i think spending their time i think a big part of that too is also keep, keeping them focused on the right accounts and how you prioritize those and i think for conversational marketing tools really the value is getting insight into when those uh, you know, accounts hit your site and how you um, engage with them. So for qualified and, and maybe what you would suggest to, um, you know, other demand marketers, like how do you choose the right accounts or, and also prioritizing them? And is there a way that you can prioritize them or maybe even tier them so that you can treat them differently because you know that your human resources are limited? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've done this at a few different companies now, Qualified being the last one, obviously the, the most recent one. Um, I started with our ABM strategy at Qualified in particular. We were so small when I started. We couldn't afford an ABM tool. We didn't really have the resources, but we knew there was very specific accounts that we wanted to sell into that were going to find the most value from our products. So that was still really big for us in early days is we, we obviously want our churn rate to be as low as possible. So we really only wanna to sell to accounts that are gonna love using our product and find a lot of value from it. So for us, that included a lot of like technographic data. You have to have Salesforce. If you have specific marketing automation platforms, it's gonna tie in really well to what we do. So we actually started to run ABM without any tool. And to your point, like to help us prioritize. So we went and created sort of these tiered accounts and ours was by company size. So we said, hmm. we do best in company size, say 150 to 5,000. And that sort of shifted over time. But at the time we said like, that's our sweet spot. So we went out and tiered and said, if you're within that employee range and we broke them out, we named them like bronze, silver, gold, platinum and got everyone at the company really involved and integrated into that like naming convention so we could very easily at meetings say like this new opportunity is a platinum account or this new opportunity is a bronze account and we knew what priority that was and where that landed within our like icp and what was going to do best for our company and then we in particular at our company we put like their marketing automation platform name in front of it so like this is a marketo diamond account so quickly our reps could know they have marketo they're this specific company size. So they could then in their brain say like, okay, here's their pain points. Here's how we're going to help address them and have a, a good conversation with them. So for us, that helped us really take down like our, our market size was like 30,000 accounts, which is obviously more than anyone can work and then helped prioritize it. So if they came to the website or if we're doing outbounding from a sales perspective, they knew how to prioritize which accounts to reach out to and it didn't just feel very overwhelming. Then we got an ABM tool. And I think that helps a lot then with like intent signals. So before mm -hmm. it was more like, how do we prioritize and tier them so that we internally know where to focus our time. And then once we layered on intent signals from an ABM platform, that helps us narrow it down even more. So now we know what buying stage they're in or what they're doing off of our website. You know, you can bring in those intent scores and start to layer those on. So then you can even get more granular down to a much smaller and more manageable number of accounts. 
so that's how we've done it internally at different other companies. Obviously it might be different, but I think the, the key is finding what's important to your company. Like how would you rank your target accounts? And if you were looking at them stack ranked, where would you want your SDRs and your AEs to focus their time and then group them into buckets like that to help them really quickly start to prioritize what they're doing and who they're talking to. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's great. I think also, uh, and you said, you know, the 30,000 counts, that, that would be too much. I think that's a, a key thing for, um, for demand gen folks to listen to, because you can have a broad set of accounts you're going after top of funnel, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if you're running like PPC ads or something like that, you want, you know, your qualification for targeting to be really broad. But when it comes to other activities, like for the SDRs of where they're really going to spend their time, either outbounding or how much time they're going to um, maybe spend on that account, having those tiers are key because they are understanding that not all accounts are like, you know, the same, some you're going to require, yep. um, or some you can prioritize because of these intense signals and you'll have a higher, uh, conversion rate because of that. So I, I always call that like the air covers, like your whole kind of broad set of accounts, but then you have like your kind of key accounts or targets that you're going after at one time. So I, I love that. And, um, uh, you know, it all goes back to trying not to overwhelm your yep. AEs and your SDR team, like keep them focused. Because I think the more repeatable and like focused efforts they do, they'll just get into that habit and it'll just be better and better. Yep. And we've operationalized that too. So like those naming tiers and how we prioritize them, like that's in our Salesforce instance, it's in our marketing automation instance. So it, it lives everywhere we, so we can report on it. So every time we pull a Salesforce report, we can say rather quickly, like here's, here's a tier that they're in. And it even gives us sort of like a gut check on how long might the sales cycle take? So if they're in a larger tier, we know when we start talking about them in stage one opportunity, like this might take 60, 90, hundred plus days. But if they're in our, our like SMB tier, we can turn this around rather quickly. And it helps people focus on like, what's the next steps? Who do we need to bring into the sales process? Because obviously an enterprise sales cycle is gonna be vastly different than an SMB. So everyone at the company, we've really like forced to adopt this naming convention and it's done, it's worked really well for us. It's helped us align in meetings really quickly. And as like a whole team, we know exactly what everyone's talking about. Everyone's aligned on like the same thing. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the key promises of ABM, right? Alignment between marketing and sales. So <laughs> yep. it sounds yep. like that you've got that everyone, now. Yep. Everyone says marketing and sales. And I think when I've, I've tackled ABM in the past. I was guilty of saying like marketing and sales alignment. And then when we started the process, I got all my stakeholders in one room and we talked about it and we all got aligned, but it then sort of fell off. So like we mm -hmm. got everyone aligned when we were launching ABM, but it wasn't this like prioritized consistent mm -hmm. alignment. And I think that's a lot harder to do, which is why it sort of falls off. But I think keeping sales and marketing aligned all the time, if you're running ABM is so key and you can't let it get deprioritized because people can very quickly go off on their own directions. And all of a yeah. sudden you'll talk to sales and realize they're over here doing something completely different than marketing. And you're really not surrounding your target accounts, which is the whole goal in the first place. Do you have any tips to keep that alignment over time? That you've, that you've yeah. found I am not to add more meetings to everyone's calendar because I know everyone just loves Zoom meetings at this point in the <laughs> pandemic, but uh, I meet with SDRs weekly. That helps quite a bit. And then one thing that we've adopted, and it might just be because we're small enough to still do this, but we do a weekly pipeline council meeting. 
So marketing and sales gets together once a week. We go over open deals really quickly. So we have a report. We just pull up in Salesforce. It's got those ABM tiers listed as a column. And we just go through and say, like, where did this come from? Who has talked to it? And everyone sort of gets like a gut check on where our opportunities are coming from and stays really aligned. And I think what that's helped sort of unveil for us is marketing and sales are both influencing deals and giving mm-hmm. attribution to just one of them is not working. So when we first started ABM, we were like, well, who drove this? They clicked an ABM ad, but then later they converted from an outbound, a sales outreach. And finally we're like, it doesn't matter. Like it's all going to be influenced, especially in enterprise deals. There's going to be so many different touch points between the two. And if ABM is truly our goal and we're going to like drink our own champagne, which is our favorite saying, we need to just focus on the pipeline that we're driving from target accounts. And what happened before is all just one, one machine. It shouldn't be separated out and we shouldn't look at it differently. Yeah, totally. So I think that's helped a lot with alignment. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think we we love hearing that because we talk about that too and why we have a bunch of podcasts all about attribution and some things think about that, but I think that's also, you know, we say ABM on this, but we're really talking about like now, you know, we're talking about all these vendors are saying ABX. And I do agree with that. It's like the account-based experience. It's the experience Mm -hmm. of sales and marketing and maybe even customer success teams are, you know, putting in front of your prospects and customers. And it's so true. Like it's, it's not so direct, like as one tipping point, it's a whole set of activities that can um, you know, really close the deal. And, and I like the way that you're thinking of, you mentioned it before, but like conversational marketing can play its place at the beginning of the funnel. When you you're running your campaigns, they come to your website, they can be part of your, you know, demo process. You know, they're coming to your site when they're just hearing about you, but then also deeper into their sales cycle. And then Mm -hmm. AE can engage with them on any questions they have. And so it just proves that there's, conversational marketing, but also the whole team across marketing and sales are really touching this account throughout the whole cycle. And it's not just one team at one point bearing that (laughs) burden. So, yep. um, And I think that's a really great point. And I think conversational marketing can help. I know a lot of tools promise marketing and sales alignment. I think account-based marketing says a lot that it does. It is a forcing function to make sales and marketing try to work together. And I think conversational marketing helps like seal the deal there because Mm -hmm. if, if you're converting people on your conversational marketing tool, they're coming to the website and they're having a conversation, it sort of bleeds between marketing and sales. Cause typically the website has been like a marketing owned, like the corporate website is always marketing owned. That's who's driving it. But then if someone's on the console or the the conversational marketing tool and they're chatting, that's usually an SDR or someone Mm -hmm. on your sales team and quickly just becomes this blended source Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter. So I think it really forces you to start looking at sales and marketing and your pipeline and your activities as one, like one specific, one group instead of these separate entities. That's a really good point. Yeah. How how can you give credit to one of the teams when someone's on your marketing website talking to a sales person (laughs) through the chat? So it's like, you kind of can't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We, we still do obviously attribution and we try to check like where, what drove it, like what brought yeah. it to the website. Uh-huh. And even for a while, we had ours separated out internally. And then we were like, this, this isn't working because people would come to the website. We would convert them on the website. Everyone would celebrate. 
But then we'd say like, oh, marketing, that's a marketing attributable pipeline number. And then our sales team would be like, no, I outbounded to them, which is what drove them to the website. And very quickly we're like, nope, we're not doing this. Like mm-hmm. yeah. nip it in the bud, combine it. And that got everyone so much more aligned. And there, you like, you could just feel the tension like drain out of meetings. It didn't matter anymore. No one felt, I mean, I'm competitive. I would assume people in sales are probably have a little competitive streak. Uh, mm-hmm. And it sort of just took all that tension out and helped there wasn't so much pressure to like prove that it was you that was doing it or your activities were driving this pipeline. It was like, it's all working. Sales and marketing is working together. And this is the pipeline and the output that we're seeing from it. Yeah. And not only are you competitive, but you're an athlete. And so you know the importance of a team. It's hmm. not just, especially yep. in volleyball, you know, it's like yeah. you need a setter in order to spike the volleyball, right? You need someone to set yep. you up for success there. I love that analogy. Can't believe I haven't thought of that. (laughs) Marketing is setting the ball for our sales team and then they're going to come spike it. I'm going to use that forever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we love ending the podcast um, with like a hot take and, and usually that's around what we think um, is, you know, the guest thinks is people are doing wrong. And so what do you think some marketers maybe do wrong or trip up when it comes to conversational marketing or including that in their ABM strategy? Yeah, I think uh, two things. The first one I think I've hammered home, so I'm going to touch on it shortly, but it is looking at things separately as marketing and sales. So I can't emphasize enough that I think bringing those together when you start doing account-based marketing and conversational marketing, if you keep those separated out as separate teams, it can get very tricky. Um, So I highly encourage that. And I think some people do that incorrectly now. I think the other thing is looking at conversational marketing or an account ABM in general is sort of like this silver bullet that's going to fix all of their lead gen problems. (laughs) And if anything, so I, I, and I'm guilty of this, so I I can't point fingers at people because in my previous role, I thought if I got ABM, all of a sudden our lead gen was just going to be like through the roof and it was going to be like high quality leads. And when that didn't happen, I was just flabbergasted and couldn't understand what went wrong. And Mm. I've, I've quickly learned that your lead gen might go down and those lead numbers might not be there anymore. And that's okay because the quality is going to be higher. And we've seen it even at qualified in our metrics, like our visitor to lead conversion rate might have gone down after we started ABM, but our lead to opportunity conversion rate has skyrocketed. So it's, it's not about the qual like the quantity of the leads that you're bringing in. It's all about the quality. And I think thinking it's going to be the silver bullet, that's just going to like shove leads into your top of funnel is not the case. And it needs to be looked at as more of like a quality of the leads and the type of leads that you're bringing in. And that's the most important yeah. part, right? Yeah. Generating yeah, pipeline, generating revenue. That's where you want your conversion rates high. <laughs> yep. You want your conversion rate high. And I think it does force maybe some companies that are still in a little bit of an old school mindset of like, it's all about leads, leads, leads. And like, if we can pump leads into that funnel, we're going to find success. And sometimes that's true. I, I can't say it's not. Um, but I think getting account-based marketing sort of forces these teams to start to look at, do we focus our KPIs on those leads or do we shift our focus more to pipeline and revenue? And I think ABM really does a good job of maybe forcing some like stragglers that have stayed in that like lead mindset to say like lead gen is still very important, but also like you need to look at your pipeline and your output because that's where, that's where it really matters. And I think that's where ABM has the biggest impact. Totally. I love that. Well, it was so great to have you on today, Sarah. You're definitely a forward-thinking marketer. I love all of your ideas around like turning everything on its head, really. And that's like 100% (laughs) of what we talk about uh, here because, um, you know, 
it, we're in a new age. It's different now. And, and conversational marketing definitely has its place there. So thank you so much for sharing your insights on that with our audience. Um, for those of you who want to connect with uh, Sarah, you can uh, check her out on LinkedIn, Sarah McConnell. She's the head of demand generation again at Qualified. And if you want to learn more about Qualified, check out their website. What is your website for Qualified? It's it's qualified.com. And I can almost guarantee if you come during business hours and you ask for me, I can jump right into a chat and have a live <laughs> conversation with nice. you. So if you, if you want to test that, I encourage you to come to qualified.com and, and ask by name and That's awesome. you shall find me. Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, again, thank you so much. And for everyone who enjoyed this episode, you know, feel free to share it with your colleagues and anyone who you think uh, wants to learn more about conversational marketing and ABM. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of forward thinking. Have a great one.